Hello, I'm Mary Schuster, and this is RamQuest Pandemic Practices Podcast. Today's guest is someone I think you'll really relate to. Brad Jones is the president of Secure Title of Kansas City and Missouri Secure Title, which is part of the Title Midwest family of companies. Brad holds the professional designations of Missouri Title Professional and National Title Professional. Now, a brief note, we recorded this episode the week before the 2021 Super Bowl, and Brad and I are in full Kansas City Chiefs mania. So you'll either fully get it or maybe just have to endure and forgive our enthusiasm on that subject. But if you're from Kansas like I am, you'll understand. Brad gives us a candid view into how his company figured out the operations management of title and settlement through different phases of the pandemic. He not only gives us a zoomed out rear view mirror reflections of lessons learned, he also walks us through the time and event line sharing their experiences along the way. I've no doubt there will be something in here you can relate to from your own experience, but Brad also hopes his somewhat unique experiences will help you plan ahead for whatever else might come along. So spoiler alert, Brad and his team had what I'll call COVID scare number one, then COVID scare number two, and then one of their closing offices took a direct COVID hit. All the staff tested positive and the location had to be shut down. Now, hopefully you haven't had that kind of experience, but we aren't out of the woods yet. I think you'll benefit from hearing what Brad and his team thought they knew in advance versus what turned out to be a situation that they weren't fully prepared for. So this conversation also covers teams pulling together, the importance of integrity in all we do, balancing work demands with human needs, reimagining the workday, and taking care of people. I think Brad's pragmatic and caring style of leadership speaks volume and his integrity really shines through. He has over 34 years of service in the real estate industry and today manages a team of over 60 title and settlement professionals. He and his team are where the rubber really meets the road. So here's one from the front lines. Enjoy. Welcome, Brad. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You bet. We're excited to have you. So many people may not know about your operation there in Kansas City. You're at Secure Title of Kansas City, and you have some things that are unique features of your agency and the the larger company you work in. So tell us a little bit about how things were, let's say, right around a year ago this time. So Secure Title of Kansas City is fully owned by Title Midwest. Title Midwest owns uh, title insurance companies in seven states. We operate uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. We have a a, a pretty good footprint in the Midwest. We have some ancillary companies. And I like to tell everybody that we're locally owned. So we operate as as an independent agent, but we also have uh, the size of a little bit bigger agent. So that brings with it uh, expertise and and knowledge that enables us to solve uh, simple transactions or even pretty tough transactions. A year ago yesterday, we saw something that uh, hadn't happened in 50 years. Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, right? Everybody woke up and we were all kind of pinching ourselves and saying, hey, uh, this really happened. Uh, It's all over ESPN. It happened. Go Chiefs. Little did we know what would happen over the coming weeks and, and months. 
reflecting back, it's been a crazy ride, an interesting one professionally and personally, and kind of amazing that uh, it's been a year later. A lot of people don't know this, but Kansas City Metro has both Kansas and Missouri, right? So we have eight offices uh, spread out through the Kansas City Metro area. We operate in the states of Kansas and Missouri. We operate in six counties. That's uh, important to note because as as things started rapidly evolving, we had many different directives from either city or county or state governments on what would be known as a pandemic and how we had to act as you know an essential business. And that was tough for us because uh, early on, we had to make a quick decision. Would we look at the most restrictive guidelines and follow those in all offices? Or would we have some offices that employees, for example, were wearing masks and the doors were locked and other offices where employees weren't wearing masks and people could walk right in? The one thing that I never lost sight of during this was really three things. The first was the health of our employees. The second was the the health of, of the consumer coming into our offices. And the third thing, and this sounds kind of silly, but doing this for almost 35 years, the professionalism and integrity of the closing was very important to me. We had to really kind of scramble and decide, oh my gosh, how how are we going to do this? None of us have have ever been through a pandemic before, trying to figure out exactly how to keep everybody safe and keep that integrity in place was kind of an ongoing challenge, a daily challenge. We began having company-wide meetings, Title Midwest, with the leaders of, of all seven states in operations. We began these daily meetings on March the 12th. And I can't say enough about John Stauffer, our CEO's decision to have these scheduled calls because what I was experiencing in Kansas City versus what was going on in Texas, for example, or, you know, Wisconsin or, or even Oklahoma. And, and looking back at the timelines and the information, a lot of the things that we were going through in Kansas City, they weren't even experiencing yet in Oklahoma, for example. Really? So you were able to get some shared learning there with other presidents and agency managers? Absolutely. And I've got to hand it to our HR. Uh, she put together these great spreadsheets with each call, and those were done by operation or state, if you will. And we just added to it after each call so we could go back and reflect. If something was happening in, in Kansas City, for example, and I go, okay, what are we going to do about this? I could reflect back to the notes from our prior calls to see if another operation had experienced this yet and how they might have dealt with it. So maybe you in a different area were on the front of something. And so if you were to document it, then they could sort of have a plug and play playbook to go from. Absolutely. The irony in that is it seemed that here in Kansas City, we had a lot of firsts of any of the other operations. What were some of those firsts, Brad? So, for example, on March 16th, uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas in Kansas City announced the stay-at-home order. You know, that was an interesting time because I think uh, with guidance through ALTA, we all wondered if we were essential workers. One of the big things we identified quickly as a company, those employees that might be at risk, according to the CDC. We had employees that were excited they could still come to work. And we had other employees going, why are we essential workers? I want to stay home. I'm not comfortable with what's going on. Sure. Trying to manage. All that as an employer, right? With peak volumes. I've never taken this lightly. We help people buy homes. It's their home. It's it's where they raise their families. Most of our experiences are great experiences. Yeah, we have some closings that aren't as happy as others. I get that. But for the most part, we're involved in people buying home. And that is essential. And that's important. 
based upon that process of identifying at-risk employees, if you will, we made a quick decision that we were going to close half of our escrow offices down and half of our escrow offices would remain open for closings. If you look at Kansas City in the metropolitan area, there's really about four different quadrants, if you will. And we were fortunate enough to have offices that we could service people within each quadrant and have offices that were closed to the public. With that said, it enabled us to keep people safe that were within the CDC guidelines of more at-risk employees by relocating them to those offices. Very quickly in this time frame in March, we also identified employees that we would deem able to work from home. One of the challenges through all this and in, in talking with uh, closers, for example, is, hey, unless you're willing to bring people into your home to do closings at your dining room table, this position's not one that can work from home, but perhaps an escrow processor could. You know, the state of Missouri is a title plant state. We're required to search a title plant. We had been reluctant as a company for years to have employees working from home because if our search exam team, they do their title search, they do the examination, they type the commitment. If you're doing a search in the state of Missouri and you have to go back into what we call the paper plant records. You can't do that from home. But what we learned here was we needed to make a change because of the pandemic. And we thought through how that change might look. Ironically, uh, we're still doing that from a title perspective. We have employees now that have staggered work dates and are working from home. And it's worked out great. You know, I look back and our, our production manager, she's a wonderful lady, one of the best I've ever been around the business. And she's like, yeah, this does work. And she was one of the biggest ones before said, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. So we have continued to do that and we'll keep that in place. On the title side then, so it sounds like you have a few in the office on a rotating basis that are doing the physical looking up in, in those cases where that's needed, but everybody else is basically either at home or at home on a rotating schedule where maybe there's some of the time that they're in the office manning that for it, or how does that, how does that work? Great question. So first and foremost, we've taken a lot of time to make sure over the course of the last several months that our employees are social distanced. In our title production office, for example, there are multiple private offices. They're large enough to have two people, but if they aren't social distanced, then one will work in the office one day and, and the other employee in that office will work from home that day. If I'm at home doing searches in Missouri and I have to do some back title search in the paper plant, I can do it tomorrow when I'm in the office and I don't have customers or clients going, where's my title commitment? Uh, there's no delay there. We have taken great care in making sure that our employees uh, are social distanced and that we're doing the right thing by them. As we'll talk about here in just a few minutes, we had a challenge in an escrow office. Learning from that example, it's very important that we stagger our title production employees because if we had an outbreak in our title office and couldn't produce title commitments for 10 days, I'd have some people you know, screaming and yelling at us. We, we'd have a really large challenge there. So I expect that we'll continue to do business like that post-pandemic whenever that day comes. A lot of people, I think, are finding that that hybrid model is kind of a sweet spot in that no one reports seeing productivity having gone down with at least some percentage of work at home for the jobs that that's a possibility. But also employees often report, yes, I, I can be more productive if I'm not in the office five days a week, just because of all of the other things that go on there. But I also miss my coworkers. I miss seeing people. So that kind of blended approach seems to fill a lot of the niches. Are you finding 
that with your staff, both with the productivity and the we still need to look in each other's eyes and say hi once in a while? You're absolutely accurate. I think at first, from a management point of view, there was a concern about loss of productivity. But back to just the human aspect of it, I will tell you, I'm in the one of those high-risk classes, but I came into the office and have worked in the office every single day during this period because I'm a people person. If I had to sit at my home and work with, I guess, my cats meowing or my dogs barking, I might be able to do it a day or two, but you leave me at home three days with no adult contact and you know I'm going to be a mess. You know, it's, it's all about balance. Certainly, there are those people out there that can work from home and have done so very well, and I applaud those people. But yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of people that want to be in the office. And one of the, the advantages that we have, and I think in any title production office, is we have a lot of experience, we have a lot of employees, and when they're in the office there together and they see something they haven't seen before, they're able to share experiences with each other. You know, we tend to be, generally speaking, uh, kind of some old dogs. We know what we know and we know what works. And this has made us learn not only new tricks, but learn them quickly. And then when you put us behind the eight ball and say, okay, we have to reframe our thinking on this and we'll have to figure out how can we do it? How can we make it the most effective? Most times your your leaders are going to rise to that challenge. And it sounds like you found that out in full spades. You know, one thing I had to learn myself in this, and in the very beginning, depending upon the media source or the information available out there, this was just another flu. We have all lived through the flu. We all make a personal choice to get a flu shot or not get a flu shot. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that. I had to stop early on and really listen to the concerns of our managers, our employees, because I realized, thankfully, pretty quickly, it was my beliefs were my beliefs. But this affected everybody differently based upon their own family, based upon their medical history, based upon their choices in life. I had to figure out pretty quick that just because I thought of this in a certain way, it didn't make my belief more real than anyone else's. You know, I I think there was a time when a lot of companies and people thought, oh, well, you know, this employee is just making a big deal about this. This is all going to go away. I had to stop and say, hey, you know, I kind of thought that at first, too. But here's what I want you to step back and realize. A perfect example, and it's really kind of a silly thing now, but I had a manager that had an employee that just insisted on wearing a mask to closing. I said, well, how do you feel about that? She said, well, I don't I don't like it. I think it gives the wrong look to the customers. Very early on, we implemented the National Notary Association health screening, and we still do that to this day on every closing. The idea was we've got people that are answering these questions on the health screening. They're healthy, and by wearing a mask, it's maybe giving them the wrong impression, like we don't think they're telling the truth. I sat down with the manager of the employee and, 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 you know, just said, hey, this is kind of the way this looks. And the employee said, well, can I wear it outside the closing? I looked at the manager and looked at her and said, yeah, you can wear the mask anytime you want, but we don't think it looks good in the closing. Of course, at that time, the CDC was saying that masks didn't help. And little would we know that just a few months later, we'd be suggested to wear masks. And then here in the Midwest, it was a mandate to wear masks. As now we're all wearing masks. And, you know, I look back in the timeline and what we've learned from this, there were so many things early on that we looked at one way. And then we've had to be open to changing our interpretation and our reaction, if you will. Oh, that's such a good point, because you were coming at it from your traditional definition of what a good closing 
is. I enjoyed hearing about the title changes, but that's a relatively controlled space as compared to the closing room. And so you have definition A of what a good closing experience is, and you proceed from that learned position. But then now you have to take in all these other considerations in the absence of clear guidance at that point. But what does a consumer expect? Does your employee wearing a mask say X or does it say Y? And that's so varied when you're dealing with the public. And then you've got on top of that, all of the different jurisdictions, requirements ever changing. And then you have the lender's expectation because they've got reputational risk wrapped up in your closing. Same thing with your realtor customers. So how did you overlay all of those tapestry of concerns into some cohesive process? A lot of conversations, a lot of communication and never losing focus on trying to keep it professional and making sure that we understand our role and that we're an important part of people's lives. Going through the timeline when things shut down here in Kansas City, but we were open as an essential business, we went through several different phases, if you will. We explored in in March and then part of April, okay, we're going to do closings, but we're just going to be one end of the table and the other. The people are going to answer the health screening and we're going to consider limiting the number of people in the closing. Things escalated and cases rose uh, not only nationally but locally. About the middle of April, we stopped face-to-face closings for a while. And we started doing what we were calling here in Kansas City, not only us, but in the industry, drive-up closings in offices where we had a common area, if you will, in a larger building with some other businesses. We were actually putting a table and having closings out in that breezeway provided it was a confidential area that you could talk with people about private non-public information. I tell you, that was a strange time. And I struggled with that because doing a drive-up closing, you know, we we used to joke about I was going to open up a title company in an old bank building. We're going to have drive-through closings. You know, and I had an employee that we'd worked together for a long time said, do you remember when you had that idea? That would have been great right now. You know, again, our employees fearing risk of exposure were concerned about lenders or realtors attending closing. My background being not only in title insurance, but also real estate, being a real estate broker, I have strong feelings about a realtor's fiduciary responsibility to their client. And if I'm acting on somebody's fiduciary behalf, I have a responsibility to be there with mm-hmm. them. I didn't feel like it was right for us to exclude them. So we started asking them the questionnaire to asking for that information and having them involved in the closings. We were fortunate. The stay-at-home order in Kansas City was extended to to May 15th. After May 15th, we began slowly kind of opening all the four offices back up that we had completely shut down during that period. We did it with the understanding that we'd be cleaning before and after everybody came in. We'd be using disposable pens and, hey, here's your your free pens at closing. Please take them with you, right? (laughs) We were doing everything that we could, including at this point in time, wearing masks and social distancing and what I felt was maintaining and getting back to what I call that integrity of the closing. Well, and did you think at that point, Brad, did you think, surely we've gotten through this big volume bubble because people are worried about their jobs. People can't get appraisals. Lenders are having a hard time fulfilling loans in the pipeline. Surely this tidal wave is not going to continue coming in the face of this pandemic that we thought was going to be a short period of time now extending. Did you think you were just always sort of maybe 30 or 60 days away from something giving you a break on one side of this or the other? That's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. I think we all have been thinking it's only 30 or 60 days 
days away from getting back to normal. You know, here we are a year later and we're still going, okay, when is the new normal going to be here? You know, our, our business is a seasonal business. We've certainly in my career had years where because of low rates, refis, we didn't have that seasonality, but traditionally we have that seasonality. You know, I have to look at our employees and our holding company and the owners of this company and what they've done. Our employees have been working a summer volume for nine months now. I don't think I've ever been in January and seen a lower order month and been happy about it, but that's what happened this last January. You know, our employees have, as essential workers, um, you know, no disrespect to other essential workers during this time, we are the forgotten ones, I think. That's very true. But very important in today's America. And our employees have been working overtime for months nonstop. As a company, our ownership has done very, very good things. How do you maintain morale given all of that? I'm a big believer in thanking people and even before the pandemic, but even more importantly now, because one of the things we've always talked about is that this is our job. We come to work every day and do our job, but you know, the people that walk in that door, they don't buy and sell a house, most of them every day. And so we have to kind of remember that we're an important part of their lives. So I always thank employees for that because I think that's an important part of what we do. And, you know, it's an important part of the fabric of, of our industry. It really is. And we've always understood how important home is uh, as an industry. But now people realize it even more now that they have been stuck at home. And many are seeing now a new future of working from home. Home has taken on so many more facets. It's not a place that you leave for 8, 10, 12 hours a day for a lot of people now. And so, again, it's just such a fulcrum of demand on us as, I love the way you said that, sort of the forgotten essential workers. Keeping all of that in mind, I would think, has to help bolster the morale of your staff, even though... They're dog tired yes. <laughs> and every day sort of presents a new interesting problem to solve right now. And sounds like they've been able to get very creative in conjunction with you and, and other leadership and find a way to do things. Yeah, absolutely. The reality of the, the situation we've been in is we had an employee that was tested early on and that was a negative test that was back in uh, April. We really didn't have any other challenges going through the summer until the end of the summer. We had a situation where a location we have that is next door to a lender in a real estate office, we had the lender come in and talk with our employees, just like we would pre-pandemic, just kind of sharing experiences, what's going on, things like that. The employees were notified two days later that that lender had tested positive. At that point, as a company titled Midwest, we had developed a protocol for what we call direct exposure such as this. We were very fortunate in that situation. We closed that office down temporarily. Our employees had tests done, tests were negative. And during that period of time, uh, we diverted closings to other locations. And we felt we were all kind of blessed that uh, everybody was healthy. About a month later, we had another office that had a situation. This was much different. This was one that concerned employees, still is a concern today. The questionnaire was provided to the client. Mm -hmm. He answered the questions. Employees brought him in, social distance, did the closing masks on. Got a phone call the day after closing from the seller's agent saying, hey, I need to let you know my seller called me this morning and his COVID test is positive. So we had a consumer that had tested for the virus, answered the questions, I will say, 
not honestly, came to closing, exposed our employees and admitted to what happened. And, and the answer was simple. I had to sign the documents. I, I was under contract. I had to sell this house. And you get caught into, oh my gosh, what do you do in a situation like that? With our protocol in place, we shut that office down and diverted closings. We asked the employees to uh, self-isolate. They were tested. We waited till tests were back and they were negative. Then after 10 business days, we opened that office back up to closings. Okay. So you were closed totally for 10 days during that? 10 business days, two weeks. So what from your protocol check sheet, what did you find on there that proved to be, you sort of nailed it, you projected mm-hmm. exactly what was going to be needed? And what did you come to add to that after you had to close for 10 business days? That's a great question. We, we looked at those instances and the first instance, we talked about the importance of maintaining a safe and clean work environment. You're going to be around your coworkers every day, but an outside vendor right now, if you want to talk about the business, it should be over the phone or through a uh, video source. The second incident, you know, was a little bit more disturbing from a standpoint of it was what everybody had in the back of their mind. Well, yeah, but these people aren't going to tell the truth. And we had a smoking gun, if you will, an absolute instance where that doubt became a reality. We talked a lot about it. But at that point, we believed in in people and said, you know, we're going to continue to ask the questions. We're going to continue to trust that people are going to think of their safety, our safety, and we're going to continue to have closings. We're going to continue to be careful. We'll continue to wear a mask. We'll continue to disinfect. We'll continue to send them on their way with the pens or throw them away. We are going to believe in the good of people and continue to move forward. At that time, there was lots of questions. And and during that period of time, you know, oh, would the virus be on the pieces of paper? And what happens when we take them back to the copier and scan them? You know, that, that was an easy answer. We bought gloves too. Besides masks, we bought gloves. If you're concerned about that, we've got sanitizer about every six feet anymore. But if you want to wear gloves, wear gloves. It had been so long in this, and we'd seen so many changes. In April, we talked about, oh, we don't want you wearing masks in closings. Now, Wyandotte County, by far during this period, was the most restrictive set of rules. And Wyandotte County required, if you were dealing with the public, to wear gloves. Right. And so our closings, we had gloves on. That was one that we didn't implement in all offices. That was really a a thing of personal choice. I felt for our employees, certainly in that one office, we had to maintain the working rules. But even in late fall, when the mask mandate came in internally in offices, we had a couple employees that were somewhat defiant about, hey, look, I'm social distance. Why should I wear a mask in the office? You know, we had to look at it and say, hey, look, we're following the rules. And if someone comes in for a closing or otherwise, and they see that we aren't wearing masks inside when we're not socially distanced and they turn us in, it doesn't just affect you, it affects all of our employees. I've always said that our decisions not only affect our employees, they affect all the employees' families. So when you look at the decisions we make, you know, as as a management team in this business, we're affecting lots of people, not just the ones you see every day. You know, we had to stand firm and just finally had to say, hey, look, this isn't Brad Jones' rule. This is the rules we're following right now. So that we can be open and do our jobs. Let's go away in 30 or 60 days, right? Right. You know, That's right. <laughs> or will it? I think I heard something on the radio. People may be wearing masks for years to come, particularly during flu season, which is great because I've got quite the mask collection now. I know. 
<laughs> We're all showing our flair with masks now. So when you had the office that had the problem with the seller that tested positive, mm -hmm. let's talk through operationally a little bit how you both sort of pushed business away from that office for that 10 days, because I'm sure that you had a full closing book, yeah. appointments already scheduled, and then also how you brought it back online, how you came back after having been not in the office for 10 days. Great question, Mary. And of course, I've got another story that wasn't quite as happy these last two. Uh -oh. In that instance, the employees are being tested. The employees still wanted to work. We had the office locked down to any public contact. They all three had been exposed. They all three had been tested. And this is the most important piece. They all three were working their files. It was a matter of having another office be a witness only type situation. Because your employees at the exposed office weren't sick. Correct. So they could continue working. So you just moved the scheduled closing somewhere else, but they were still able to work. And that was in a, a large suburb of Kansas City called Lee Summit. We have two offices in Lee Summit, so it made it a little bit easier. We weren't diverting people miles and miles. Uh, they were within about five, 10 minutes. So that made it easy. We have always had offices in Northland and we called Kansas City North. We made a decision late summer. We had a lease coming up in a location we've been in for about 14 years. And we decided that rather than have three or four small offices in an area, we were going to this one big office in the middle of these two counties. And it was going to be kind of our flagship office. And I'm going to say this right now, and you can laugh at me here in a few moments, but it's really what I looked at as a model for a future COVID-proof office. We have front entry. The bathrooms are right off the front entry. And there's a big hallway and wall down to our three closing rooms. And then our employee offices and our employee work areas and everything else is in the back. And the idea is, is the consumer comes in, the only people exposed to the consumer is the receptionist and whoever's doing the closing, but it's not kind of like some of our other traditional offices or traditional retail space where the closing room's in the front, your bathrooms are in the back, your employees are in between, people need to use the bathroom, all that. And I thought this is kind of a model for us to really do build outs in the future. Uh, we moved into that office uh, the middle of October. I got a concerning text message on a Sunday from the office manager. And the office manager indicated that one of her processors had decided to get tested over the weekend. I had felt ill. The test came back on that Sunday positive. Oh, no. Um, immediately going to our internal protocols, I had some notifications that had to be done internally to the other employees. And we had to decide, okay, had this employee had a customer contact? Unfortunately, this was an escrow processor that didn't do... <laughs> any document signing with people and was relatively segregated from the rest of the staff, definitely with six feet apart. What happened? I notified the other employees on the Monday morning that we had uh, an employee who had test positive, uh, maintaining privacy, and that at that point, we encouraged them to get tested as well. Uh, we started kind of contract tracing back to what employees might have been around each other, how long, looking at the CDC guidelines, things like that. Over the course of the next five days, each employee got tested and came back positive. So over the course of five days, we had a whole escrow office test positive and had to shut it down. What'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> I started making notes, uh, that's for sure. And I started going, oh, I should have done this on Monday. <laughs> but, you know, you, you don't expect something like that's going to happen. No. We had an employee that was asymptomatic, uh, but was positive. 
we had another employee, the manager herself, who has seasonal allergies and just believed she had seasonal allergies, didn't know she was positive. And then another closing employee who had had the sniffles, things like that, but didn't realize she was positive. We learned pretty quick in, in this office being our new big COVID proof, haha, <laughs> there's the laugh office. We weren't prepared for a whole office to shut down with COVID. I immediately sent letters out, either email or letters or both to every customer that had a closing in our office dating back to what we could figure out was the symptoms beginning in the first employee. We felt that we had a duty and responsibility to the public to inform them and the realtors that might have been a closing or the lenders. One question I have about this piece of it. When you had the first employee test positive, was it part of your protocol to then require all other employees in that branch to get tested or was that voluntary? Did you find they wanted to sort of how did you balance that? Again, I'm going to give all kudos to our HR. HR actually prepared letters to go out. In a what we call a direct exposure situation like this, we ask them to gather their belongings and go get tested. So it wasn't left up to oh, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. Very similar to the other two situations, this was a direct exposure to somebody that's in the office eight hours a day. Yeah, they're definitely six feet apart, but you're going to have the use of the same bathroom. They're going to be going back to the break room, the copier. What an area that we have to sanitize all the time now is that equipment. So it was a letter that said, basically, gather your things. We need you to do this. These tests weren't all given in the same day. They were staggered a little bit. We were in a situation where the office was open for our employees to be in, but was closed to the public upon the first positive case. As the other employees became positive, they were sent home. And that's where the real challenge began. We have one of our busiest offices in Kansas City. All of our employees tested positive. We have the office shut down. We have been paperless pretty much my 15 years here on the title side. It's one thing to have your employees in the office working who have tested and have subsequently come back negative to be able to work the files. But when you have to send everybody home because they're all positive, oh yeah, all the paper files in the escrow office are sitting in that office that we had all these positive tests, how are we going to accomplish moving all these closings and going back to our employees working overtime and day after day and for such an extended period of time? There are real life stories of where they were picking up files that were closing tomorrow or the next day, and they were just now working on them. And so now you've got closings that are happening two days from now that they're supposed to be working on the day and, oh, that file's in that office. And Nobody's supposed to go in that office for 48 hours and after I clean it. It was a challenge. It was it was hectic, chaotic. I will say that we were far enough along into this pandemic and we had been through so much that people were a little bit accepting when you said that office is shut down due to health reasons. You didn't have to say any more. And most people were like, well, we don't want to go there. That was a pretty challenging time. Uh, What did we learn from it? Well, we should have done a projected closing for the next two weeks and immediately started gathering files and dispersing them out. As a matter of fact, I've encouraged all of our escrow office managers now, they may not be working on a closing that's two weeks away, but they need to know that closing's two weeks away. They need to be prepared in case this were to happen again. Do we think we have all the answers and it would be smooth? No. The employees all recovered. Nobody has any lasting effects. But there were a lot of challenges and we had to get through that time. And we had to get through that time with some employees that were already set up to work from home and some that weren't. That was a challenge as well. I've got to give kudos to our office manager. She she 
was battling COVID, but at home on her laptop trying to do what she could do this whole time. I felt badly at one point. She made a comment, said, I wish I could just be sick like everybody else. But to her credit, her work ethic, her commitment to her customers and clients, she toughed through it. It's interesting for me to hear you say, I now realize that when we got that first employee positive test, we should have shut it down and started another chain of events based on that But I got to tell you, as a former agency president, having not been through that, I would be very hesitant because I would want to say, oh, it's just this one. They've been social distance. We take these precautions. Let's keep trying to limp along. We do have a full closing schedule. What would you say to somebody that has that outlook based on they haven't experienced what you did? I have to reflect back just a few moments ago in, in our first two stories. I think both of those, we looked at it like, woo, we dodged a bullet. We never really thought what happens if we get hit by the bullet? I will tell you this. I'm pretty simple as a leader and a manager. I really think that it's as simple as we take care of our people. They take care of the customers, the clients, our business. So first and foremost, my concern was with the health of our employees. Did it create some delays for the customers, uh, whether they be realtors, lenders, or the consumer? It did. Were there some people that were upset and frustrated? They were. Did we do the right thing by discounting a closing fee here or there to try to smooth things over? Absolutely. I'm not going to drive people to the edge. I'm always going to look at their best interest first because I want those people to be here year in, year out. We take a lot of pride as a company. We don't have a lot of turnover because we treat our employees right. They're the one that makes this happen. I'm just fortunate enough to be here and, and to be around them and get to learn from them. I guess to your question, I'd take care of your employees first and the business second. That's always a winning philosophy. It's proving ever more so true in this situation. And so I think looking forward a little bit, I would imagine that you as an employer are about to come up against some of the same questions with regard to vaccines as you face early on with masks and essential workers and sort of blending all that together. Because I know a lot of companies, when there was a question about the essential worker designation and very early on, we were afraid, well, are the COVID cops going to stop us in our car on the way to work? A lot of people gave their employees letters. It says, I'm designated 4E. I wrote the same letter. So your employees have those letters. And now with the vaccine protocols, which of course are different by state, but a lot of our financial and real estate essential workers are going to come up on a potential vaccination list earlier than maybe somebody in their demographic with no health issues. Is it a case of you provide a similar letter for them or the same letter for those that want to get a vaccine to get earlier in line? Can you require that as an employer as a condition of working on site or interacting with the public? How do you navigate that looking forward? Yeah, you know, we're talking about that internally. You know, I want to go back to my previous comments about I, mm-hmm. I had to learn early on my opinion was just that, my opinion. It didn't make my opinion more real than anybody else's feeling or opinion. Having said that, I think there's been some discussion. Can an employer require vaccinations? I believe at this point in time, it's a personal choice. I'll tell you, I'm on a list for one. I have a health condition that it's probably a good idea to get one. But I think the challenge we have to consider is we're so early on in this. It's been a year, but in a lot of ways, I can't believe 
years flown by. When you look at, you know, the medical evidence, these vaccines are new. I'm not saying that they're not safe. We don't know the long-term effectiveness. And what I'm hearing today might be different than what we hear next week. But what I'm hearing today is this may become part of the flu shot or it may be a supplement to the flu shot. This may be something that we have to get every year. And I think right now we don't require employees to get flu shots. Offer days where we'll pay for the flu shot and bring people in and people that want to get it, get it. I really think that that is in my mind today with everything I know, how I'd like to see it implemented. You know, I think that the United States, the local government are going to dictate to us in some ways whether or not we have to get those. You know, I have to I have to reflect back. One of the things that my girlfriend and I love is live music. We haven't been able to go see live music in how many months? I've heard that one of the big ticket masters, somebody was saying that it may be that you have to show proof of vaccination to go to a concert. Yeah, vaccine passport. I think the bigger question for all of us is, what is going to be regulated as it relates to this. And I think that'll kind of trickle down and kind of set the precedent for the rest of us. Well, and there's always the outstanding question, too, of liability protection for workplaces, not just from the employee perspective, but from the customer's perspective. And that is not a topic that anyone in any political arena seems ready to take up. And so you're kind of put right in this huge, important area that has nothing but big question marks around it of what's the right way to proceed. I mean, certainly if you have staff who are so inclined themselves that they want to go get that vaccine, yes, great. If you need a letter that says you're an essential worker and get it sooner, I can help you with that. But as far as the rest of it, I agree with you. There's so much yet unknown, which much of your point through this discussion, it seems crazy that a year later, we're still at, we don't know. Which is why your stories of, hey, we had a miss and then a closer but near miss and then boom, a direct hit on an office is going to remain a relevant situation to learn from for quite some time because this isn't going away anytime soon, right? It's worth saying I'm very open to our management and I remind them and have done so recently and will continue. We are seeing much more contagious variants out there and there's going to be exposures. This is unfortunately probably going to happen again. I'm not going to say we're fortunate that we've been through it, but at least we have have a little base of knowledge to work from for when and if it happens again, how we'll handle things. But it's been a long year. It's been tough on our employees. You know, it used to be the challenge in our business and the stress and everything. You got to go home to get away from or you got to go to a live concert, listen to music, let your hair down, have some fun. It's just as stressful in life right now. And so I think we're all looking for that break. And when is it going to be here? Hopefully it's here sooner than later. We're ready. Yeah. Most everybody has a disaster recovery plan. We think about fire, we think about flood, earthquake, data breach. So this has obviously made your disaster plan more robust. You can add pandemic now to your list of experiences. I imagine you're going to keep that in place. It sounds like you're going to keep in place some people working from home at least some of the time. What else do you think that you'll retain in some form or another in your agency? I think anybody listening in our industry would agree that there there are going to be dark clouds in life. You have to look for the silver lining because you can't just focus on the dark cloud. You always have to be looking forward. Yeah, you look in the rearview mirror once in a while so you don't forget things, but you always have to look forward. One of the things we're working on now that I think will benefit us long term is 
promote online notarization and e-closing and being involved in American Land Title Association and participating now in virtual events and meetings and things like that. This in a kind of a weird sort of way, but being a silver lining to it, I think is going to push lenders into adopting the necessary technology and getting these e-vaults going and accepting e-notes and things like that. I think that we have the ability to do hybrid e-closings now. We're looking at that and we'll be implementing that ongoing. I think there has to be a lot more education to the realtor and the consumer, right? You know, immediately when emergency remote online notarization things were coming out in Missouri and Kansas, I had realtors saying, hey, so-and-so's just doesn't want to come in. They're actually traveling to Colorado and they want you to do an e-closing form. I had to sit down and explain, hey, this is how this works. Another part of the silver lining, it's been strange, but as you and probably a lot of listeners have been involved in virtual meetings now, virtual conferences, virtual things, I think is a a good segue into e-closing. One of the concerns with e-closings is we might have all the technology, but does the consumer have it at home? A lot of people are learning to use Zoom. They're learning to use Teams. They're learning to use the computer to communicate effectively. And so I think that that helps us moving on into the future. Oh, that's a great point. Drawing a straight line correlation between a Zoom happy hour into digital closings of the future. (laughs) You know, we have an operation in Texas and I would see where, oh yeah, we're doing e-closings in Texas, but then you really look at it, maybe... 10% 10% of the closings are being done as a hybrid closing and it's sellers. People want to hear that and they go, why can't you do that? Well, the consumer doesn't understand. There's a lot more to it. But yeah, I think this is, is going to fast track that, I hope, for all of us. And, and we have to be ready. And I think day by day, I certainly am getting better with the, the Zoom meetings and we'll be ready to do closings in that manner. And, you know, getting back to what I say is the integrity and the professionalism of it. Sure. Uh, just because you're not sitting in the room with them doesn't mean that you can't still maintain that type of environment over video and conferencing. Right. Or you can do a lot of the sort of the heavy lifting normally involved with a closing, maybe even a little bit earlier, and then still have them come into that office for that experience, for that ceremony, the exchanging of the keys, and even for a little while signing the physical note and mortgage if you have to do that. But finding inventive ways to modernize the process, make your time investment more efficient, bringing it up to the expectation of a semi-digital age, while at least you know, maybe for the interim, also keeping the physical part and the ceremony part and the in-person part, something special for the consumer. We've always said the e-world is not an all or nothing, but I agree with you. The impetus to sort of dip our toes in was always, oh, next month. Let me see if there's wider adoption by someone else first. So, you know, that going forward, as I said before, our commitment to cleanliness and disinfecting and thing I don't see changing in the near future and probably more of a focus long-term ongoing, maybe not to the level we do today, but much more than we ever did. I don't see eliminating the health questionnaire anytime in the near future. We are internally on the escrow side trying to develop a better way to be a little bit more paperless before the closing than we have been. Obviously, given our experience with the whole office shutting down, when you look at our industry, we have some very experienced closers, but a very experienced closer is somebody that's used to paper. And to change that mindset, that process, it just takes time. I see those things moving forward. I hope we don't ever have to do drive-up closings again. I think that's awkward and, and challenging. 
challenging. I don't think the consumer, they really don't get a great opportunity to ask questions. And plus we have winter in the Midwest. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that while it's been so many months, I feel as if we still have several to go. And I think what I know today, what we know today will change a little bit tomorrow and the next day and the next month and the month after that. And I think that it's important that we learn from the challenges we've had and, and come up with plans to overcome those. And, you know, that's just business and that's life. Well, it is. And by virtue of some of the hard knocks you've had to go through that some of our other listeners have not, I really want to say thank you on behalf of everyone for stepping forward with that hard-won knowledge to disperse it out and help maybe smooth some of the bumps ahead for some other people that unfortunately some of them are going to fall victim to the same circumstance you guys found yourself in. And, and hopefully we can inoculate a little bit against some of the rougher parts of that experience. So you sharing that today, it's going to be beneficial for at least one someone out there and make their life a little easier. So thank you so much for that. Everything you've described all adds up to be an inclusion of that definition of integrity you gave earlier on. So thanks for walking the walk. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mary. Wow, what a story, right? Here at the podcast, we were so grateful to Brad for sharing the hard-earned wisdom he and his team gained along the way. His message about taking care of people is always timely, but especially so in this time when everyone is pushed to the brink in nearly every aspect of life. Thanks, Brad, for taking the time to reflect back on your experiences so far so that we can all benefit from what you've learned. If you'd like to reach out to Brad to say thanks or ask a question, his email address is bjones at securedtitlekc, that's S-E-C-U-R-E-D, title kc.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And remember, you're designated as an essential worker because what you do really matters.